So good afternoon, and uh, and again a wonderful blessing. We're going to be starting a yes, a new series. Um, and I know that we've spent uh, a good amount of time in in the book of Romans, and we're yet to finish it. But um, this passage in Philippians chapter four is where we're going to be looking at getting our text. The title of the sermon this morning is simply called "Be Careful for Nothing." Careful for nothing. And it's found in that passage in Philippians chapter 4. And uh, I just want to read from verses 4 to 6 again. It says there, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. My... um, my daughter Natalie had said to me in the first few months uh, when we started the the church, um, she she said I ought to do a sermon series on the topic of prayer, and um, and uh, it was something that she loved, um, and she knows and knew the value of of prayer, and and so too did I. Um, it was always my intention to to look at that incredible study on the topic of prayer always. Um, but uh, and I'm, I'm not sure why I hadn't really undertaken it until now. Um, the sermon series, the Book of Romans, that I began when I was still at Faith Baptist Church in Faulkner, and then started it again in January 2019 when we uh, uh, we were already a couple of years into the church. Um, prior to that, we had the Bible Survey series that we undertook, and that was going through every book of the Bible. Um, right up until, uh, well, from basically from Genesis right through to Revelation, and and that was a wonderful blessing. It was a great book to be. It's great to just do a survey over every single book of the Bible, and that took us from 2017 to 2018. These things that helped lay the foundation of the church, which was wonderful and a, and a great blessing. Um, we're seeing the end in sight with the Book of Romans. Uh, we're at the, we've only got one chapter left. That's uh, chapter 16. So we're, we're pretty much halfway through 15. We've got 16 to do and then we're done. But uh, in light of the current affairs of the world at the moment, um, I thought it right to actually take a really deep dive into the topic of, of prayer because I think it's something that's desperately needed among us to be able to not only understand it but to be able to take part in it as much as we as much as we can, so I'm looking forward to uh, to getting into that. Um, I don't know how many sermons I'm going to do on the topic yet. Um, I do know that the issue about prayer is really vital for our confidence, for our faith, for our joy, and for our witness. And I know that it's sort of within those four categories that I see every element of prayer housed right in there. Um, confidence, faith, joy, witness. Confidence, it's, it's that which uh, assuages our grief. It, 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 it quiets our concerns. It, 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 it lowers our anxieties and our fears. When we have confidence, we have everything that we need, not only to get through life, but to also excel in life. And um, it's... Confidence underpins the foundation of everything that we desire to build upon it. And um, 
and yet it's only one 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 of the side benefits of prayer. You know, we when we pray, we find ourselves confident in the things that we that we go through within this life. So confidence is one. Faith is that other element. Uh, it's a trusting element that we have. It's 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 what we see and what we experience as we are trusting that God is true to His word. You know. Um, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, the Bible says. So it's this faith that, that, that we have that opens the way to salvation. But not only that, when you live by it, then it also helps provide that confidence. Because you see, it's not the confidence that you have based on yourself. It's your confidence that you have that God is true. He's not a liar. He's true. He's absolute. He's sure. It's this, it's this constant state of the heart that we have. Joy has its fountain from within. Unlike happiness, it's not based on the things that occur from without. Joy doesn't stem from the happenings that's going on around you. It's, it's, it's this well springing up from within our own hearts and it can only be gained when there's such constant communication with the living God that it becomes the very staple of our life. And that's the part of prayer that we need to touch on as well because the Bible speaks about it as a constant. It doesn't speak about it as an activity that we enter into once or twice or three times a week or a day. It's a constant. And this is the wonderful blessing because it's this that enables us to be able to rejoice in the Lord always, as Paul speaks about there in Philippians 4.4. 4. It's it, it's also able to do have joy so uncommonly in the time of tribulation that James speaks about in James chapter 1. Um, and it's especially a witness that our redemption draws near that the Lord Jesus spoke about in Luke 21. Then we have the witness, and that is to be... Um, it's through prayer that we find ourselves witnessing the truth of Christ to a fallen world. We have this ready to communication with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a ready communication with God that the world witnesses because they don't have that communication. They lose that confidence. They, they are absent of that joy and they certainly lack anything with regards to fear, with regards to faith, you know, and they see it in us and this is a witness that witnesses to the world and that all stems from prayer. It stems from our communication with the living God. So we will come to see that prayer is not incidental to the Christian life. It's not incidental. It's Contrary to that, it's instrumental to the Christian life. It's the very part of us. As a matter of fact, it's, it's difficult to, to even conceive the idea that you could even be a Christian without prayer because this is our constant communication with the Lord. This is what testifies of our own selves before God. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote of prayer, saying, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. Well, I mean, that, that is a wonderful summary of the idea of prayer. Some of you who might have read some of uh, J. Oswald Sanders' works um, he has these daily devotions and they're always a blessing. He wrote 
in, uh, in, a, in a book titled Effective Prayer in 1969, and he has this incredible lofty description of it, and have a listen to what he wrote. He said, No spiritual exercise is such a blending of complexity and simplicity. It is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try. (coughs) Yet the sublimest strains that reach the majesty on high. It is as appropriate to the aged philosopher as to the little child. It is the expression of a moment and the attitude of a lifetime. It is an agony and an ecstasy. It is submissive and yet importunate. In the one moment it lays hold of God and binds the devil. It can be focused on a single objective and it can roam the world. It can be abject confession and rapt adoration. It invests puny man with a sort of omnipotence. When you break down that one paragraph with regards to prayer, it is all of that. It is absolutely all of that. It is as simple as it is incredibly complex. This is my hope. I have one hope. I have one hope for all of you. Um, And the beginning of this series is that your attitude to prayer, your attitude to the activity of prayer will change from whatever diet you currently have with respect to it today. Um, whatever your diet is with regards to prayer today, that after this series even begins, you're going to be hungering for more. You're going to hunger for more. You're going to be wanting to pray more. You're going to be wanting to spend more time with the Lord. You're going to be wanting to envelop the Lord as far as your everyday walk is concerned. Your moment-by-moment walk is concerned is going to be in some form of communication with the Lord. And I'll explain how that can be done. My hope is that from this day on, if your prayer life at present is one of just a, a... casual consideration um, like when you go shopping and you just so happen to see something on the shelf that you just add it to your trolley it goes from that to the only reason you go there it's the only thing that you want to get is prayer it becomes a focus an absolute focus it's the only thing that you came for it's my hope that by the end of this series we're going to have gained such an addiction to prayer that barely a thought comes to our mind that does not contain the consideration of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is your last thought at night before your eyes close in sleep and he is the first thought of a morning before your eyes open. And that is the hope that I have for you with your consideration on the power of prayer and how vital this is for us today. So, without any further ado, let's have a look at this and begin it. The first point this morning is often careful for everything. The text tells us there in verse 6, it says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. As the Apostle Paul writes from his prison cell, he calls on the Philippian church to be careful for nothing. It's always it's an interesting curiosity, you know, rarely does the Bible ever tell you to do something that to command you to do something that you're already doing naturally, you know. The Bible often tells you to do that opposite to what you naturally find yourself doing in the flesh. 
and this is one of them. He says, we ought to be careful for nothing, and this is because far too often we ourselves are careful for everything. Uh, the word careful simply refers to being full of care. In other words, being worried, worried, fearful, anxious, being filled with the concerns and the cares uh, and the worries of this life. And that's where our hearts are usually filled. We are careful too often for everything. We are worried about everything. And there's some wonderful lessons that we learn in the Bible respecting the choices we make. Because uh, Paul gives you an interesting consideration here that it's a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice to either be careful for everything or you have a choice to be careful for nothing. You have a choice and that's what Paul is putting here. That's why he tells you be careful for nothing. And Jesus confirms that. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 and... We're going to have a look at uh, verses 38 to 42, just, just five verses there. Luke chapter 10. The Lord Jesus features wonderfully here. And it says in verse 38, Now it came to pass, as they went, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet, and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I want you to notice something really interesting, and that is that Martha was careful and troubled about many things. I'm sure, I'm sure that many of you, when you hear the word careful, you think about, you know, being careful. Like, you know, like don't drop that, be careful. Uh, be careful you don't stub your toe, be careful you don't do... Well, that actually has its origin in being full of care, being worried, being concerned, you know. Um, and that's Martha. She was careful and, notice, troubled about many things. This is the natural place for us all. This is our natural tendency. But notice how the Lord describes Mary. She hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. When Paul wrote, be careful for nothing, he was also given an indication that being worried about everything that's going on within your life is a choice that you make. It doesn't have to be a natural state that you are in because you seem to be under the circumstances. It is a choice. It's a decision that we can actually make. We can either choose to be worried, choose to be careful about these things, or we can choose that good part, that good part, that good part that shall not be taken away. And I would put to you that that good part is the Lord Jesus Christ. That good part is that time that we spend with him. Jesus said Mary had chosen that which Martha had not chosen. And far too many of us choose to be worried about many things. But, Pastor, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? I mean, don't we have reason to be worried? Don't we have reason to be fearful? Don't we have reason to be anxious? Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
For sure you do. There are causes of anxiety in people's lives and there's causes of anxieties that have always been within people's lives throughout history. It happens that individually we find ourselves having reason or cause to be worried, to be anxious, to be fearful. We just happen to be living at a time where everybody's feeling the same way. Uh, everybody happens to be worried. They ha- happen to be concerned with the current events that are actually going on in the world. And very, very few, I would put to you, are actually concerned about, um, about a virus. Many, of, uh, many people are more concerned about government intervention and what's going on with regards to that. We're seeing this. We're seeing the world over recently experiencing these concerns, first with mandates against their jobs, now mandates against their freedoms with the Green Pass or the COVID Pass. And one day will come a time when the world will face mandates upon their lives, according to Revelation chapter 13. What is occurring is global. And as such, the entire world is careful and troubled about many things. I don't make light of the situation that a lot of people find themselves in. And today there's a mass of people that are finding themselves in this sort of situation. But individually, all throughout history, people have endured fears and troubles and concerns and anxieties. They have been careful and worried about a tremendous amount. And it's not limited to the time that we're living in at the moment. The 20th century alone has had such a glut of global events that worried most of the world at one point or another. Through the Old Testament, the people of the Lord had many times in life where they had cause to fear. Many times throughout history, Israel had kingdoms around them that would come and even take away their place and nation. You know, they had cause to fear. They had reason to fear. So I'm not, not saying that there's not reason to fear. Paul speaks about the troubles that he endured when he was preaching the gospel as a missionary and through his missionary journeys. He wrote, but... We were troubled on every side. Uh, Without were fightings, within were fears, he says. Yet, yet, in the very next verse he writes, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us. In 2 Corinthians 7, 5-6. Paul, in in two verses here, tells you that yes, without were fightings, within were fears, nevertheless God... Nevertheless, God, you can read that another way, but God. I love that. Don't you love that? It's another way of saying but God. It's another but God place within the scriptures that we find. And uh, uh, a godly woman within our congregation made a note of that as we were going through our prayer meeting. And, uh, and, and she was saying how wonderful it would be that whatever our troubles are, whatever our problems are, whatever they all are, put them there and then just put but God straight after it. And what a wonderful blessing that would be if we would do so. If we would just put but God. doesn't matter what your problems are, put but God. Let God intervene. Nevertheless, God. And that's what Paul does here. It was Paul who wrote, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind in Second Timothy one seven, we're often careful for everything and not always without cause. Indeed, there can be absolute justification for our worries and for our fears and for our many anxieties. That is, if God could care less about those that He loves. Do you hear that? 
You can be perfectly justified in feeling all those fears and all those anxieties and all those worries and all those concerns. You could be careful about everything if God could care less about those he loves. If God had no interest in you, then you would be justified in having all those fears and all those worries. And there's the rub. See, that, that's, that, 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 that's the rub right there. Right there, that's where it is. You could justify it if God could care less. But you can't justify it if God loves you and if God makes promises to you and if God tells you to look to him, if God tells you be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. See, that, that's where it's at. We acknowledge the cause of our fears. We do that. Uh, but that's for those who the Lord has not justified. You know, the world cares for those things. The world worries about those things. And they would be justified in worry about those things because they do not belong to the Lord. They do not have a divine hand upon their back. God is not at their back. God does not shine a light onto their path. So we can understand this is part of the Gentile state, but this is not ours. This is not ours. Are we right to choose to be careful and troubled about many things? Or should we be careful for nothing? Oh, next point. Joyful, being careful for nothing. Paul begins this passage with this command first to rejoice. First to rejoice, to have this evident joy that's known to all men that they can see evident within you. And he says, and he gives you the reason to rejoice. Gives you the reason to rejoice. He says, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. This is a fascinating statement. What does it refer to? The Lord is at hand. Yeah, it refers to his coming. The imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. The Lord is at hand. It's a statement that says that there's nothing else that needs to happen before he comes. This is the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. It puts to bed any idea that's held that that, that makes this claim that he cannot come until this and this happens. Okay? The Lord is at hand. He is right there. This is a side note. Can I do a little side note? Just a real short, short, not going not to spend long on this. But I just want just to touch on one thing. Beloved, when it comes to eschatology and it comes to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, right now he is our blessed hope and we look to him. Yeah? We look to him more than anything else. But there are many people who are, even godly people, people who know the Lord, who have a skewed idea with regards to when the Lord Jesus is going to be returning. Okay? There is one way that you can tell if they are in error. All right? And that is if they have to retranslate the words. Okay? It's, not, it's not really that hard. It really isn't that hard. What I have found consistently among those who teach either a pre-wrath rapture of the church, a post-tribulational rapture of the church, a mid-tribulational rapture of the church, anything other than a pre-tribulational rapture of the church, they have to change the words. They have to. They can't do it any other way because when you read the scriptures as they present themselves, they teach clearly that the Lord is imminently returning for his church. He can come at any moment. And that means nothing has to happen beforehand. Nothing. Okay. 
But always, 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 every single time I listen to one of these preachers who are teaching something a little bit different, they always have to go into the original languages and then they have to change the words. All right. So just shortcut your, your, your headaches with regards to it. You hear them starting to change the meaning of the words, just, just, I don't know, maybe switch it off. Or just maybe you can grab some of the other stuff that they might be teaching, but just move on. Understand that that is a danger. The Lord is imminently returning. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Then he says, verse 6, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Joyful, joy, and being careful for nothing. That is, leading a completely carefree life seems to go hand in hand, doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty hard to be joyful when you're constantly worried, when you're full of care. You know, It's difficult to be joyful because you're burdened down by the worries and the cares of this life. But imagine what life would be like if you knew that all your basic necessities in life are met, everything that you need to be able to go through life, everything is met. Your basic necessities of life is met. When Then you can live a life that is completely worry-free, care-free. And this is something that we find with the Lord. We find that he is the one that cares for his own. And Paul is talking about that here. He says, let your request be made known unto God. He speaks about here that once your, all your basic necessities in life are met, when you know that all your basic necessities of life are met, that nothing is going to take that away, it gives us something else. It's not just joy. It gives us peace, doesn't it? It gives us peace. We can rest. We can rest because we can know that God has got this in control. He has it in hand. And that's not a coincidence that that's exactly what he says in the very next verse. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's not a coincidence that if we are careful for nothing, then we have the peace of God. Why? Because he is the one that's going to be providing. Turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. And let's allow Jesus to explain why this is. It's one of the most famous and most comforting passages in the Bible, and I'm not sure how seriously we've taken them. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. You'll recognize this passage straight away. Jesus here is speaking and preaching. It's part of his wonderful Sermon on the Mount, which goes from Matthew chapter 6 through Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by... Notice something. The birds of the air don't have a pantry. Do you notice that? They don't have a pantry. They don't have a refrigerator. They don't have a barn. They don't have a storehouse. They don't have anywhere where they can put their, their, their food. The Lord provides for them instantly. As soon as they go out looking for them, the Lord provides for them. 
just thought I'd bring that up. I was just curious about that. They don't have a pantry. Which of you, by taking thought, verse 27, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal, uh, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. I I believe this is true. I, I believe that if we all trusted that Jesus' words here are absolutely true, I honestly believe that we would never worry about another day again. We would never worry about tomorrow again. We would never worry about how we're going to endure tomorrow. I can't, I can't accept this to be false. I can't accept that this is an exaggeration. I, I can't accept logically this to be untrue. I've experienced my Lord the moment that I was born again. I experienced his love in my life the moment I was born again. I sense him every time I pray. I'm convicted by him every time I sin. Um, I'm lost when I'm not walking with him. I'm joyful when I walk beside him. I grieve when I'm not in communion through prayer. And I rejoice when I speak to him. And these are the things that I cannot deny. These are the things that happen upon me daily, weekly, monthly. I've seen him answer prayers that are small and I've seen him answer things that are too incredible for me to just think it was a coincidence. I cannot accept Jesus' words here to be false and I cannot permit the devil to sucker punch me into thinking that my Lord is not faithful to his words. I can't. I can't. Maybe you can. I can't. I can't. I can't sit there and pick and choose which part of God's word is actually 100% reliable and dependable. I can't pick and choose that. You know why? Because I've been wrong once or twice. I've been in error. I've done things that are wrong. I've thought things that are wrong. I've considered things that were in error. I can't trust me to be the final authority on things. I've got to put my trust somewhere and I'll make that choice to put it in the word of God. Now, if this is not true, if this is not true and I put my faith in this to be true, can I ask you, who's responsible? God is responsible. Do do you get that? If I have put my faith in God's words, And those words aren't true, but I've put my faith there. Who's responsible? God is responsible. If I've put my faith in God's words and God's words are true, right, who is responsible for the outcome? God is. Who gets the praise for the outcome? God does. 
But you see, if I decide to look at those words and think that they're not true, who's responsible now? I am. I am. Guys, we are all champions at not wanting to be responsible for anything. You know? Why do I want to be responsible for this? I don't want to be responsible. I've got a natural inclination towards irresponsibility. You know? I don't want to be responsible for this. So I would rather choose that God's words are true and believe them with all of my heart and let him be responsible for the outcome rather than me. You know? I don't I mean, that's too logical. But to me, it just makes perfect sense. God has promised that he will provide. Um, the, the Gentiles are the ones that are wondering, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or whether with all shall we be clothed? And now when he's speaking about this, remember, he's speaking to the Jewish nation, right? The church hasn't been formed yet. He's speaking to, the, to Israel. He's speaking to a people who have God as their father. The Gentiles are looked at as the heathen. They don't have God as their father, okay, other than those who fear God. There are those who fear God, right? But these are the ones who don't have God as their father. And that's what he says, after these things, the Gentiles seek. But you should not seek after these things. Why? Because God is your father. He's the one that, that clothes the lilies of the fields. He's the one that feeds the birds of the air. <laughs> Shall he not much more feed you? We are indeed of little faith. The heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. What is he saying? He's saying simply that if God feeds the birds of the air, are you not much better than they? If 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 you're going to be sitting there worried about clothing, then consider the lilies of the field and consider that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like these. Consider all of these things and be strong in faith because God is going to provide. How does he provide? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that I'm looking at the birds of the air just as a small example. God doesn't have a hand reaching out of heaven and putting little worms in their beaks. Right? Doesn't happen. What do they do? They go out hunting. They go out looking for and foraging for whatever it is that they want to consume. We are charged to work. We are charged to go out and to also do the work that we need to do. The Bible says those who do not work shall not eat. Right? So it's clear. We do our part and go out there and do the work that we need to do. We do our part and take responsibility for our own lives. Do not be dependent upon government. Government wants you to be dependent on it. Okay, They desire that you not be de- dependent upon God, but dependent upon government. And one day, one day, one day, they will also expect you to worship them. They will expect you to worship government instead of God. Okay, we know that's going to happen. Won't happen to us because we won't be here then. And that's what I'm looking forward to. We need to trust in the Lord. Your trust is in the your trust is in the one who quenched the thirsts of the Israelites by bringing water out of a rock. You know. Your confidence is in the one who rained down bread from heaven your confidence is in the one who parted the sea and allowed his people to walk through dry shod 
Your confidence is in the one who rebukes the wind and commands the sea, be still. Peace, be still. That's who you believe in. He's your father. That's him. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Your confidence is in him, not on yourself and not on your abilities and not in you. You are to be careful for nothing. This is the one who the Bible says would walk upon the waves of the sea. That's, that's who we have our trust in. That's who we have our trust in. This is where your trust is to be so perfectly consistent of Paul's command to be careful for nothing. We are to be careful for nothing. Third point, we're often prayerful for nothing. <laughs> Isn't it funny? We're careful for everything and prayerful for nothing. Where the Bible says we need to be careful for nothing and prayerful for everything. You ever notice that? We've got things so... I don't know why he puts up with this. I really don't. I really don't. Those who are always worried about things are also those who rarely seek their comfort in Christ. I find this a consistent thing. I find an absolute consistency that when we find ourselves worried about many, many things, generally speaking, we're not spending a great deal of time with the Lord. So we're not spending time in prayer. We're not spending much time in prayer. Nothing consistent with what we need to be spending in prayer. Um, my mother, she um, remains to me a perfect picture of a person who was constant in fear and worry. Always worried. Always in fear. And and I, I loved her so much. And there is a, there is a testimony of her potentially coming to Christ when she was a teenager. Um, and she may have been indeed saved there, but she certainly lost that first love and lost, lost it early. There was never any godly people within her life. Um, so instead of trusting in the Lord, she would seek unto those wizards that peep and that mutter. These are real people in Isaiah chapter 8. You know, um, She would seek unto those things that are in the world. And it, and it might sound funny, but there's so many people that do that today. Um, they knew God in the Old Testament, Israel. They knew God, but they rarely sought after God. They knew who he was, but they rarely sought after him. They had trouble in the world, and yet they hoped that the world would deliver them. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. We do the same thing every time we, we check the news. We, we check the news sometimes. Be patient with me here, okay? Sometimes we betray our real source of hope each time we check the updates, hoping for a change in course, okay? Um, and, 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 I'm, and I'm sure... And I'm sure some of you would just say you were just curious when you waited for the 4 p.m. Supreme Court judgment in New South Wales on Friday. Uh, I'm sure that maybe you were just curious upon waiting on Nero's decision today. Uh, but your emotional response might witness where your ultimate hope is. Did it change? Ask yourself the question, did it change? Did you sorrow on Friday afternoon and did you rejoice this afternoon? Sure, now you hate me. Yeah, That's okay, I didn't take this job to be liked. 
Imagine, imagine for a moment what life is like when you're prayerful for everything rather than nothing. Imagine what life is like when your comfort is in Christ and your joy is in him and you're not waiting for what the next report is that's going to be coming out. Um, imagine, that, imagine that you're living your life in complete comfort and joy because your trust is in Christ and your trust isn't in the dictates of a, uh, a government leader. Imagine, imagine how joyful that is. Imagine how peaceful that is. Imagine just being sitting there and somebody coming across and saying, oh, did you hear the news today? And you go, no. Oh, this and this happened. Oh, really? Oh, that could be concerning for people, you know. Oh, that must be good news for you. Yeah, I'm so over the moon. You didn't hear about it. No, no, didn't hear about it, you know. Imagine what it's like. Imagine what it's like when, when we are constant in prayer. Because we know that the one who clothes the flowers clothes us. We know that the one who feeds the birds feeds us. We know that he is our strength and our stay, when he is our high tower. When we know he hears our petitions. But if we're prayerful for nothing, then we're going to find ourselves losing that comfort. We are going to find ourselves miserable we are going to find ourselves moving up and down with the rest of the people within the world we are never going to find any constant we are going to find our source of comfort within the world which is also the source of our grief that's weird isn't it we how do you find your source of comfort in the same place that you find your grief you know we need to realize that our source of comfort is not in this world but is in the Lord I found my Lord to be the greatest source of my comfort and I've already grieved replacing him with the temporary comforts of this life and of this world don't wait until the last minute to pray Uh, this is something really important the world is prayerful for nothing other than at the very last resort okay I watched the Netflix thing on the 9-11 situation. It's amazing how many people prayed. There's a lot of prayer going up during that particular time. And I could almost guarantee you, for the majority of them, that would have been the first time that they might have prayed. You know? Don't let prayer be your last resort. It's so incredibly sad when Christians also pray for nothing other than when they're in trouble. You know, that's when we go to pray. The rabbinic teachers in Israel taught the need of the people to pray and to avoid resembling the heathen of the world in their habit of only praying when they were desperate. The Talmud is a volume that uh, also codified these rabbinic teachings, right? And they've got one element there that was written. It says, honour the physician before you have need of him. Honour the physician before you have need of him. Don't remain prayerful for nothing. Seek the Lord even when there's no need for him to get you out of trouble. Seek the Lord every moment of every day. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 47. Let's have a look what happens when we don't seek the Lord as often as we should be. Isaiah chapter 47. Middle of your Bibles and then turn right. Go past the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. You there ready? Well done. Liliana's already there, huh? Anybody else? No? Yeah? All right, good. 
Isaiah 47. Have a look at verses, just two verses there, 12 to 14, 12 to 13. The Lord speaking to the people of Israel who were constantly seeking after that which was not of the Lord. He says, Stand now with thine enchantments and with thine, with a multitude of thy sorceries, wherein thou hast laboured from thy youth. If so be, thou shalt be able to profit. If so be, thou mayest prevail. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Well, you know, here they are looking at those things that did not profit them. They didn't seek after the Lord. They sought after the things that the heathen of the world were seeking after. These are the people of God that's being dealt with. And he goes, yeah, you're going to continue seeking after those things. You're going to continue looking at the world to try and deliver you. What are you coming to me for? Go back, go to them. You know, let them deliver you from the trouble that you put yourself into. You know, and this is the state that man can get in. And we need to be very, very careful at this. Yeah, there are people that can backslide from the Lord. I recognize that. And in their backsliding, they can potentially turn back to the Lord, but not always. King Ahaz trespassed against the Lord more and more until he was ruined by his false hope. He was prayerful for nothing. And there's a fair example in Second Chronicles 28. Let me read it for you. Two verses there. And in the time of his distress did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. Verse 23, it says, For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and all Israel. They were the ruin of them. We continue to seek after the comfort within this world, being prayerful for nothing. We will find our hopes ruined and dashed and we'll find ourselves troubled, and we will find ourselves with no certain confidence at all. We will find ourselves running about in fear. We won't have any confidence. We'll be like everybody else within the world. Ours is to be careful for nothing and to be prayerful for everything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. What an incredible thing. Too often careful for everything, prayerful for nothing. And yet Paul tells us to be careful for nothing and prayerful for everything. How joyful would our lives be if we simply made that choice? Imagine making that choice. The last portion this morning, this afternoon. I keep saying morning. <laughs> joyful being prayerful for everything. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was a 19th century preacher who began his formal ministry at the age of 19. He became a pastor at 19 years of age. He was known as the child preacher. And he would become the most famous preacher in the world at that time. He spoke a good deal about prayer and he spoke both of its value and its frequency and we do well to consider some of his words. In his commentary on the parables of the Lord, he wrote this. Like the old knights, always in warfare, not always on their steeds dashing forward with their lances in rest to unhorse an adversary, 
but always wearing their weapons where they could readily reach them and always ready to encounter wounds or death for the sake of the cause which they championed. Those grim warriors often slept in their armour, so even when we sleep, we are still to be in the spirit of prayer, so that if perchance we wake in the night, we may still be with God. Our soul, having received the divine centripetal influence which makes it seek its heavenly centre, should be ever more naturally rising towards God himself. Our heart is to be like those beacons and watchtowers which were prepared along the coast of England when the invasion of the Armada was hourly expected, not always blazing, but with the wood always dry and the match always there, the whole pile ready to blaze up at the appointed moment. If our soul, if our soul should be in such a condition that prayer should be very frequent with us, no need to pause in business and leave the counter and fall down upon our knees. The spirit should send up its silent, short, swift petitions to the throne of grace. A Christian should carry the weapon of all prayer like a drawn sword in his hand. We should never sheathe our supplications. Never may our hearts be like an unlimbered gun with everything to be done to it before it can thunder on the foe. But it should be like a piece of cannon, loaded and primed, only requiring the fire that it may be discharged. The soul should be always in the exercise of prayer, but always in the energy of prayer. Sorry, The soul should be not always in the exercise of prayer, but always in the energy of prayer. Not always actually praying, but always intentionally praying. We're in a situation here in Australia at the moment where we are, uh, we have a, a a potential enemy that um, that has already vocalised their intentions against our nation, and now we're looking to try and get some nuclear submarines to help us deal with this potential threat now when it was something that we should have done decades ago, that we're doing it now, it's not going to be ready for another decade. Prayers like that. Prayers like that. If the only time that you pray is right at the moment where you have need, it, it, it's a little bit too late in a lot of ways. It's very difficult to find yourself comforted because you're hoping for a response now. You see, but when you're in a constant attitude of prayer, when you're looking to the Lord, when you're seeking after him with all of your heart on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, when you have such an intimate relationship with the Lord, he gives you comfort now to endure whatever comes. You have comfort and peace now to endure whatever comes. You already know what he's like now because you've seen him answer this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, this prayer, this prayer. You've already got such a backlog of answered prayer within your life. You know that he's faithful. You don't have to go back there and ask whether or not he will deliver you. Because you know he will. You've experienced it. You've trusted in him before. And there are some Christians today who, with the current trials that they're under at the moment, are hoping against hope that maybe they might be able to find something that's going to be able to fill the gap because they don't want to take this mandated requirement. And... It's a little bit difficult because, you see, they don't have a backlog of trusting in the Lord for his provision through history, you know. 
So now for many of them, it's a little bit too late in a lot of ways. The Lord may answer, but the problem is that they don't have the confidence in knowing that he will. And this is one of the difficulties that we have. Like, like Spurgeon says here, he says, we are to keep the tinder dry. We are to be waiting on the Lord at any moment. We are to be already having those beacons ready to glow the moment that armada comes upon the coast. You know, the lighthouses back then were done by fire, not by electricity, right? right. So that's what he was talking about, having the tinder dry. You know? Do you guys remember that story? Do you remember that the Spanish Armada was coming upon the coast of the, of, of the United Kingdom, coming upon England to destroy them, to invade them and to turn them back to Roman Catholicism, right? to turn them back to that holy see in Rome. And they were coming with a massive armada, a huge company of ships to land upon their shores. And Queen Elizabeth was the queen at the time. And she set herself to pray. And the others had set themselves to pray. But there are many who had already been praying, who had already been prepared. And that sh- those ships actually found themselves sailing between France and the United Kingdom. And as they sailed, the wind was completely contrary. The wind was contrary to them. And it blew them, o- blew them off all over the place. And then we had, I can't remember his name. his name. Francis Drake was his name. And Francis Drake set dinghies on fire and put a sail on them and had them blow into those ships and destroyed so many of them. And then they rounded up over the coast of Ireland and coming down, they limped back home to Spain. They limped back. They were destroyed and the United Kingdom, the people there didn't even have to lift a pistol. You know? Why? Because they were already ready. They had a spirit of prayer. They were already ready, you know, and the Lord worked a miracle, an incredible miracle on that nation, you know. And this is what we see within the scriptures. We ask how often we should pray, and the answer of the Bible is continuing instant in prayer, Romans 12, 12. Prayer in the Bible is not a one-time thing that's undertaken at times of trouble. It's as natural as breathing, we, we, we have this atmospheric pressure around us that compels us to breathe without consciously thinking about breathing, you know? And we need to be in that same state if we have the Spirit of God within us to be in a constant state of prayer, a constant state within us. I don't do this. I don't do this anywhere near as often as I should. I've got to be reminded to do this, but I want to be this way. This is how the Scriptures refer to it as. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint, Luke 18.1. The church began by continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, Acts 2.42. When Peter was in prison, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him, Acts 12.5. In Ephesians 6, after speaking of the armour of God, Paul wrote, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints in Ephesians 6.18. One of the shortest verses in the Bible is found in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And it's interesting because it links to the second shortest verse in the Bible, which is before it. The verse before it is rejoice evermore. The next verse is pray without ceasing. Two words and three words. These are the shortest verses in the Bible here. This is all you need. 
Why do we rejoice evermore? We can rejoice evermore because we can pray without ceasing. And we can have our joy in the Lord through prayer. It is prayer that sets us to have a heart set on God. It's here that we learn to trust him. It's here that we come for comfort. It's here that we come to him with nothing, with no strength, with no confidence in our own ability. We are filthy even by the garments spotted by the flesh, the Bible says. We have nothing to bring but our petition. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It was here. It was here. It was here in this posture, in this state of heart, that we made our request to the Lord to save our soul. To save our soul. To do something that is absolutely impossible for any of us to even consider that we can do. And he gave us everlasting life. Eternal life was granted on our knees petitioning petitioning God. Shall not this temporary life be provided for in the same manner? We gained eternal life because we're on our knees petitioning the Lord. Eternal life. What about this temporary life? Is this too much of a big deal for God? He gave us eternal life. He's going to sustain us in eternity. He can't sustain us here. Our fear of death removed by our faith in Christ. Shall not our fear of life be removed by our focus on him? We look at, we look at Peter. We, 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 we wonder how he can walk on water, you know. But notice the moment he looked off Christ, he took his focus off Christ. I don't know how many of you have had sort of like, not near-death experiences, but really big trouble where thoughts in your mind just went like that really, really fast. Or all of a sudden your whole life flashed before your eyes. I reckon Peter was like that when he was looking at the waves. All of a sudden he would have thought, which way do I go? How do I get out of this mess? I'm in the middle of the sea. I'm walking on water, but there's waves all the way around me. How how can I get myself out of trouble? You know, I can't can't imagine, you know, who's going to look after the fish? I don't know what thoughts went through his mind, but I do know that whatever they were, they were not on the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't focused on him. The answer for him was simple. Be of strong in faith. I made my choice. I, I made a choice to choose God at his word and I have given him the consequences of that decision. And, um, and, and that happened more recently than I want to admit. That happened more recently than I care to admit. We give him everything. He has our very breath in his hand. He has our very breath in his hand. And I have to trust him for everything now. There's nothing in this world that I can trust in. You know? And I don't have the time to be worried about what's going on in this world. He's called me as as an ambassador for him. You know, and I had to make that choice. I had to choose who it was that I was going to serve. I had to choose. And if I have decided to choose the Lord, then the consequences for that are his. My life is in his hand and I will die in his hands. And I will live, ever live before him. You have to ask yourself, if you will, from this day forward, determine to say 
No more, no more will I be concerned and worried about the cares of this world. I aim to be careful for nothing. Will you aim to be careful for nothing? Job said this in the middle of his book. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at that latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Every day that this world turns, I see the Bible coming alive. I don't know about you, but every single day that goes past, I see scriptures coming to life and I see God telling you he is faithful. It's time. It's time that we choose no more to be consumed with the cares here, no more to be careful for everything. It's time to choose to be careful for nothing and that we pray for everything until he comes. Until he comes. Maranatha. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for this time. We thank you for the joy of Christ, for the hope that's found within us. And we ask you, dear Lord, that you would continue to go before us and that you would strengthen each one of us in our confidence and in our faith and in our joy and that we may be blessed by the knowledge of you. I pray, dear Lord, if anybody hearing this message at the moment does not know Christ, that they may believe the gospel and have the wonderful hope that we have, that they too may be careful for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, make our requests unto God. And we know that he is faithful. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.